Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to the show. Today we are talking all about the concept of hygge and if you're not quite sure what that is, hopefully we can enlighten you a little bit. This is two non-Danish people talking about a very Danish topic and so you have to bear with us. We're kind of going to just explain to you our understanding of the term hygge, aren't we, Beck? Yeah, yeah, and and our Danish listeners can join us in our Facebook group and tell us everything that we got wrong <laughs> and clear it clear it all up if they, if they can. But also what we're going to be doing is, we, which we do have some authority on, is maybe aspects of our own culture that relate to hygge or that where we can find hygge in our own culture as well. So we do have authority to talk about that. <laughs> that is true. So hygge, spelt H-Y-G-G-E, is something that I think I've watched too many TV renovation shows and judges would walk into rooms and say, oh, that's so hygge. I would have no idea what they were talking about. And so... I don't think they would either if they're just talking about a room being hygge. (laughs) And so I wanted to know more about it. And so I purchased the book, The Little Book of Hygge, The Danish Way to Live Well by Mike Viking. And so I've read this book cover to cover and that has kind of informed my understanding. But that is based on his understanding and his teachings on hygge. So obviously, I guess like most cultural concepts, depending who you are and how you live, there might be a whole lot of other versions of hygge or understandings of hygge. Mm. And I have also, I've read that book as well, a little book of hygge, and it was a while ago. And so when we talked about doing this episode, I decided to try a different book. So the one I did was The Book of Hygge by Louisa Thompson-Britz. So that's the one that I've started reading as well to give me a little bit more of an understanding. And already Tara and I have discussed a slight difference between the two books, so that should be interesting to discuss a little bit as well. So do you call it – you sounded like you just called it Hygge. Oh, did I? Which is – no, that's fine. There's about – it's meant to be like Hygge or Hygge. There's a few different variations written in this book. on, And what I really loved about the start of this book, because I thought, I don't really know how to say that. And this Mike Viking that writes the book in the intro, he says, to paraphrase one of the greatest philosophers of our time, Winnie the Pooh, Mm -hmm. when asked how to spell a certain emotion, you don't spell it, you feel it. And he said that this concept is the same thing, that people pronounce it in different ways. But what's important is actually the feeling of it rather than the way you say it. Yeah. I want to say Heige. Obviously, you can see why. But also, it's, it sounds a little bit more um, <laughs> cosy <laughs> to me. I don't know. That's the English English speaker in me, I guess, seeing like Heige as kind of a hug, whereas Hygge sounds more like, like a war cry. <laughs> Yeah, I I just think of Hoover like a vacuum cleaner, and I think there is nothing soulful and cozy and lovely about Hoovering. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy it, but um, yeah, you enjoy it. Oh goodness. Um, 
So I'm going to start off by describing it because if you are like I was a very short time ago, you have no idea what we're even talking about yet. So Mm. uh, Mike describes it as the art of creating intimacy. Uh, He's got a whole lot of different, I guess, explanations, but it's See, I'm already struggling how to (laughs) conceptualize it. I'm going to run through a list of a few different words he uses throughout the book to describe the idea of hygge. He calls it coziness of the soul. He calls it absence of annoyance, a comfort zone that includes people, taking pleasure from the presence of soothing things, cozy togetherness, simple pleasure, feeling loved, warm and safe. And one of his descriptions was Coco by Candlelight. <laughs> now, Beck, you've got slightly different kind of spin on the concept, well, haven't you? Yeah, one of the things that the book I read has a very strong focus on and it she definitely talks about all of the, the other the, the things that, that um, Viking talks about. But one of the things that I've seen coming through as a common thread throughout all of these little aspects of Huga that she talks about is actually mindfulness. And so that's another one. And obviously mindfulness doesn't have the same ring to it as cosy togetherness or cocoa by candlelight, but I, I see that theme coming through a lot is that mindfulness of that being in the moment with people that are with people and things that mean something to you. Yeah, so I guess generally it's this atmosphere. It's about creating an atmosphere and an experience that is less about material things and more about Mm. the present and the people. And it combines that feeling of togetherness with loved ones with safety and comfort and coziness. So Mm. quite often the Danes talk about Huga in reference to um, spaces in their home or, you know, places they gather. So Hooger's a, a really unique selling point for a lot of restaurants and cafes. And Mike talks about in the book, people will wander the streets looking for somewhere to eat and will, you know, walk up to a cafe looking, think it doesn't look Hooger enough for us. So we'll keep walking. Um, mm. So that's something that cafes and restaurants really try to build in is that atmosphere of coziness safety and shelter and one of the things that this other book I read talks about is uh, and it's a very visual description that really drew me in and she talked about how shelter um, the concept of shelter is a a big thing in Huga and there are different ways to be sheltered and when I think of shelter I just think of my house and a roof you know and but she talks about all these other different types of shelter and one of the descriptions of shelter that she discussed was the pool of light that gives a puts a boundary around you when you're sitting at a table and you have a lamp or a, um, a light above you and so you know that 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 light a spotlight i guess the pool of light that a spotlight creates that creates a boundary which gives you shelter. And she said that's why you can often find Danes all around a round table with one light above them and that light kind of scoops them up and keeps them all together. That's that's a really cool image. I like that. Mm. Mm. When I looked a bit further into it, I thought it was just a Danish phenomenon. I didn't 
I'd never really heard of it in reference to other cultures, but very similar ideas with or without the same name are practiced in a few other surrounding countries like Netherlands, Norway, and apparently they get a bit into it in Canada as well, Germany as well. But Danes are the ones that I guess consider it a defining feature of their culture, which is unique from the other countries that wouldn't necessarily mention it when they're talking about their, their cultural norms. And I think that uh, I read a bit of the history of this and obviously there used to be a lot of those countries were all part of one big area or one they were under one area of rule. And then I think it was, oh, and again, I'm probably wrong in this, but I think it was the late 19th century or late 18th century that they um, the countries were all sort of split and the um, Denmark was then reduced um, to a, a much smaller size and they embraced rather than complain about what they didn't have anymore they embraced what they did and they began to take great pleasure in the little things that they still did have and so that became unique to them because of their own experience and so even though the concept was used and talked about before then by a broader number of people in a larger geographic area that they because of their unique experience the way they felt it changed because of that experience does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's all about yeah appreciating what you have and finding comfort in home and small things and community because it's the community that have kept them together so it's something that I guess is would be really interesting for well I've found it really interesting to learn about and understand and it makes me want to change the way I do things in my house not all aspects but things like when you're hosting a dinner party especially in winter this it makes me want to get my hygge book out and go right <laughs> where, where's my checklist because they have a whole lot of I guess elements key elements or aspects that will certainly that Mike identifies as being critical parts of the Huga experience. So I thought I'd run through a few of them and you can see if there's things that you might want to incorporate into your house or just share in the understanding of, of how they make things so cozy when you're in Denmark. I love that. When you're in Denmark, like when you're, when you go there, you know, what's funny is I wish I had read this. I spent just three days in Copenhagen with a friend and it was right before Christmas. Christmas markets were on. It was snowing and we were walking around the Tivoli Gardens, which is this amazing kind of Christmas market theme parky, amazing atmosphere with our cups of mulled wine. And I'm like, it was so Huga, but I didn't even Mm. know that Huga was a thing then. But I wish I could go back now because I feel like I'd be like, tick, tick, tick. This is so Hugo. But at the time, I just thought this is so Danish. Like, and it was such a mm. foreign experience compared to certainly Christmas in Australia. Christmas in Australia. Um, and going on a roller coaster while it was snowing was a pretty unique experience. Oh. Got a very cold face. Um, but, yeah, it was – it's – I think it's that whole that appreciation of how they do things and there's certain aspects that I think you could learn and infuse them with the way you do things if you're after creating a more 
Huga experience in your house? Should we just talk a little bit about why? Why you would want to have more Huga in your life? Yeah. Because I just from the, the reading that I've done, and obviously most people would know this, but the Danish are um, generally regarded as one of the happiest places to, well, one of the happiest cultures, wood culture, society, community mm-hmm. um, on the planet. And they do credit Huga for that, uh, a lot of that happiness. So I guess, you know, you and I haven't really talked about why why Huga might be something that you might consider increasing in your life. Uh, and I think that just the fact that it makes them so much happier as a culture would be, you know, one of the reasons maybe. Yeah, well, Mike Viking actually works at the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. which that sounds like a pretty cool job, just quietly, mm-hmm. figuring out what yeah. makes people happy. And quite often they will put out those. In fact, I think it's yearly. They put out those results on the happiest countries on the planet. And Denmark always seems to rank in the highest, the most contented people, the happiest people, the least stress. And there's there's a whole lot of reasons for that, uh, including the way their welfare and their health systems work over there. Um, also, their work hours can contribute mm-hmm. to that. And I'll talk to that in a minute when we talk about downtime with families. But one of the things that they've identified that is unique to Denmark more than any other culture is this idea of Huga. And mm-hmm. so it's one thing that's really easily identifiable as a difference between the countries that are happier and the countries that are less happy is Mm. the presence and the understanding of this idea of Huga. So that might be why you want to infuse Mm. a bit of it into your life. Yeah. And obviously I think it would be better if your entire culture had it infused more and, you know, reading the, this book, I found that I could see a massive, it's like, I don't know, it was like a glaring, obvious point about the difference between the Danish culture and, say, America or Australia, and America in particular, because America has a very, very high degree of individualism, and that has been causing issues. <laughs> so it causes the, the whole large political divide it's caused problems with conformity for like health requirements it it you know it's just there's a lot of individualism is a bit of a problem and division within the different cultures within America as well and I just noticed when the author talked about community in Denmark and conformity and the greater good, I saw a glaring difference between them and America in particular and Australia too. We, we do, we have a similar problem. Mm. Yeah, there seems to be this disconnect more in our societies and mm. over there they seem very community-minded but also mm. just the idea of togetherness and not necessarily just looking out for your immediate family but... yeah. It's like there's no us and them. It's all they're always looking for a we, mm. an opportunity to be we. You know, I think I like collective inclusivity. That's what I'm going to yeah. call it. Mm. Well, actually, that's what she met. That's what I think she talked about that in the book. I think she used inclusivity quite a lot in in the book too. So yes, good word. 
So if you want to try and infuse a bit of this, there are some key aspects, like I said, that go into making the huga recipe. So the first aspect they talk a lot about in terms of creating atmosphere is the idea of lighting and the appropriate type of lighting. And Mike suggests that this Danish obsession with lighting comes from the general lack of contact with natural Mm. light between October and March. And then he even goes on to say that there's an average of 179 days of rain per year in Denmark. That seems insane. Can't imagine that here in Australia, can you? I know, especially where you and I have grown up, like in the desert practically. Yeah, like one day of rain per year maybe. (laughs) Um, No one in the town where I grew up, no one owns umbrellas. (laughs) So I think lighting is considered a bit of an antidote to their cold, dark winters, but it's not just about lighting your space. It's about the right type of lighting. So the preferred method of lighting is candles if you're trying to create this huga atmosphere. So 85% of Danes associate candles as a key part of creating this this huga. And on average, they burn six kilos of candle wax per year per person, Hmm. which is a lot. Yeah, I'm trying to think how much I burn. I burn candles every morning, but only like those little tea light ones. Mm. (laughs) I don't think I'd get six kilos worth of in a year. And they're not just into candles. Like I will burn a candle occasionally in my living room or at the kitchen table, but they have candles in classrooms and in boardrooms at work. Mm. Like that sounds really cool, but very foreign to me. I can't quite imagine having a candle going in a work boardroom. And the other thing that surprised me is they're not generally scented. It's not about the smell of the candle. It's about the ambience. It's about the light. Yeah. Yeah. It creates, which I thought was quite interesting. And that's the thing, I there's, I guess we don't have candles as much because we have a lot more light, obviously. We're not that far away from the equator where we live anyway, mm-hmm. you and I, but um, that we don't have sort of much light. But I always think, you know, with like what you said, you were surprised about the centre because I think in where where we come from, mostly burning candles during the day is pointless to us because there's already light and so you why would you burn a candle if not to make it the house smell nice <laughs> so like the fact that they're not scented is like oh well oh well there you go um because we we might put candles on in the evening but you know again that's a bit rare as well and um yeah if we usually have them all, have them going during the day it's cuz they're scented so the other type of lighting was lamps and when he talked about lamps and lighting it sounds like a real art form to which I have no knowledge really, but it was more about creating these soothing pools of light rather than creating a functional light to work in or operate in or do stuff stuff in. It's about creating the atmosphere. So the general rule was the lower the temperature of the light, the more hygge it was. So he said, think of lighting in terms of sunsets and firelight or candles, that kind of real low warm light, not mm-hmm. fluoro light. Not, <laughs> not our, like a bright, cool um, down lights. Yeah, that's it. So <laughs> um, the other thing he said was that because Danes burn so many candles, 
they have to get a bit savvy about remembering to air the room out um, oh. because of all the smoke and whatever else, I guess. All the oxygen that's sucked out <laughs> yeah. of the room because <laughs> it's full of candles. And um, he suggested that if you're trying to create a hygge kind of atmosphere with lighting, think several smaller lamps if you're buying lamps for it rather than one giant light. Although the suggestion you gave about that single lamp over the table um, mm. kind of contradicts that, but I like both ideas. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I guess it's just an ex, an explanation. I think an explanation of the concept of shelter being more about uh, boundaries mm-hmm. than about physical things. Yeah. yeah. So um, I guess you could, because the lights are low, if you had other lamps with other bits of light in that room, you would still have this particular um, boundary around you over the table, even if it, if it wasn't the only light in the room. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I did notice shopping in Copenhagen is a lot of the stores have, have lamps on in the store, have like lovely lighting around the store. Mm. Like I think of Australian stores and usually there's a lot of natural light in some of them, like in boutiques and stuff like that. Yeah. And outside shopping centers, there's lots of natural light. And then actually even in some of the shopping centers, there is like, Lots of glass ceilings in our shopping centre. Mm, and then in stores, it's really bright fluoro type light. Mm. Um, there's nothing warm about the lighting in our, in our stores at all. But <laughs> I found that over there. And that's where it was like, I just wanted to buy everything on the shelves because you just felt like you're walking. You Every shop was like mm. getting a hug. I remember <laughs> even going into big um, like global brand stores. I won't mention any names here and there being lamps in the change rooms. And I was like, this is amazing. Like a little table lamp on a stool Mm -hmm. in a change room, like where I'm trying on clothes. And I thought that would never happen in Australia. You get the hideous (laughs) fluoro light from above and you look at your skin tone and think, this is, I don't look like that, do I? And it's from above. So every bump, every dimple, uh, every... um black shadow under your eye yeah. <laughs> everything shows up i don't know mm. why they do it because it's not flattering at all i think i'd be more know, tempted right? to buy clothes in a dimly lit lovely cozy space than without a doubt <laughs> yeah without a doubt um okay so what else what else do they um value back in terms of hygge so there's that that presence that uh, mindfulness that being in the moment is is important and it doesn't mean being technology free um it just means embracing the moment while you have it uh, and if you get interrupted by your phone then then you get interrupted by your phone but you were enjoying that moment until you were um so it's sort of it's not necessarily about giving up technology uh, but about um being fully present in where you are and what you're doing at the at the time Mike suggested no TV, but he kind of clarified it by saying if you're, you know, having people for a movie night, that's okay. Or if you get together socially with friends to watch a show together, but that you wouldn't keep the TV on for background noise, that silence Mm. was always silence would trump noise and little noises like listening to the fire or hearing raindrops and stuff like that would go a lot further to create the idea or the atmosphere than, you know, a TV playing. I have Mm. discovered in my mild obsession with Hygge, um, 
a playlist on Spotify, which I'll link in the show notes, a Hooga playlist, and it's really cool. Uh-huh. And I put it on recently when I was playing cards with my husband and the kids, and they were all like, what is this depressing music? And I'm like, <laughs> but it's so lovely. But I think it needed to be a cool rainy day where we had slippers on and rugs on and it would have been perfect but it was a warm day the doors were thrown open and I had this real slow somber kind of ah uh, yeah music and the Didn't kids are like much. um can we put some pop on please but I really liked it so I think <laughs> I will it'll definitely be something I'll keep um as a favorite yeah. playlist of mine I um, enjoy a playlist, it's a Spotify playlist, which is just basically rain, like different thunderstorms and rainstorms. And I I play that one fairly often. And the kids kind of are a bit disconcerted because they sort of walk out into the living room and then there's like the sun's shining and there's thunder. (laughs) And they're like, where's that? Where'd that come from? This is just showing your lack of experience with rain and thunderstorms in your childhood, that trauma of growing up in dry Australia. But now for pleasure, you listen to rain. <laughs> listen to rain, yeah. Um, speaking of the pleasure, that's another another aspect or a key point. They talk about delicious treats like chocolate and cookies and cake or warm things like coffee or hot chocolate or tea. So stuff that's sinful but simple. Mm-hmm. So popcorn is hygge, especially if it's shared from the same bowl, that whole idea of togetherness. It's simple, it's inexpensive, it's not flashy or showy. So carrot sticks are not so hygge. <laughs> and champagne or oysters, that kind of thing is not particularly yeah. hygge either because it's considered... Because it's the simplicity yeah, is the it's key. Yeah, it's extravagant, it's expensive, and yeah. that goes against the principle of hygge. So like lovely homemade sinful rich I guess I just I can't help but think mm. of yeah like a hot chocolate and um I don't know sludgy brownie or something yeah 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 mm. it's a warm day here today so I'm finding it hard to get myself into that zone <laughs> it's cold in, it's funny it's cold it? in my house so I'm uh I could, I could, I need a rug on my lap while I do this episode. I'm in a t-shirt. Like, it's amazing. I'm so excited because we've had the coldest week and then today it's going to be like 30 degrees almost. Oh, massive. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. I have the washing machine going, of course. So another thing they talk about, and this really stood out to me and I love this and maybe this is why I'm so keen to create some more hygge in my house, is the idea of equality. So... When you've got a group of people around and you're talking and you're relaxing together, that it's all about the we, not about the me. So you share the airtime. It's not one person talking all the time, which is really hilarious coming from me. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that wasn't the aspect of equality that stood out to me. Um, I'll get Mm. to that in a sec. So the the idea is that there's this relaxed thoughtfulness. Not one person dominates the conversation. Everyone's important. Everyone takes part and contributes. This bit I loved. When people come over for an evening and you're creating this hygge atmosphere, if you're preparing food, everyone gets in the kitchen and prepares it together regardless of their skills and their ability, everyone pitches in. So it's not like I quite often think of dinner parties where the host singular or the couple that are hosting 
are in the kitchen preparing drinks and preparing food and sometimes they're separate from the rest of the group um it's even worse if the kitchen is a separate room so sometimes you know there's times when they'll be in there alone like dropping stuff off or picking stuff up this is the whole idea of the collective and i really really like that idea Mm. and this is that what i was saying about the difference between their culture and uh our culture is that we and again particularly america i kind of put australia a little bit closer to denmark than america in this particular aspect but still not not near not really that close to it but this the whole culture in denmark is about this and it's not just the hygge part of it but their whole culture is about you know no one is more important than anybody else mm-hmm. And they really, they're really strong on that, and so and it goes right through business. Like they have quite flat business structures. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not very hierarchical in business and, and things like that. Whereas, you know, in in our culture, we're much more likely to try to dominate a conversation. And you only needed to watch the presidential debate to see that that's definitely um, something that happens in America. Is that you know, there's lots of shouting about, no, listen to me, no, my what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. So I'm going to sort of talk straight over you, uh, and that happens quite a lot um, in our cultures. And I think that you know, it could be something that we could definitely learn from. Mm. And even the idea that as a host you're when you're hosting people in your house you're sharing everything with them you're not it's not that they come Mm. in and you have prepared everything beforehand and it's this very clinical procession of food and you know I my auntie is phenomenal at being we don't know how she does it but she doesn't seem to leave the table but the food just keeps coming so she oh, yeah, seems to yeah. always sit there. She's like a magical host that she's sit there, sits there. She's in the conversation. She's having a drink with us, but the food just keeps coming. And we're like, where, who went to the kitchen? Like, where did this come from? Who put this <laughs> yeah. on the table? Where I've been to other places. And I know I've certainly done it myself where you have people over and I feel like I'm, I spend more time in the kitchen or walking back and forwards than I do sitting at the table. And it's like, people mm-hmm. don't come over for fine dining if we wanted that we'd go out for dinner people come over to share your company and then you spend so Mm. much time primping and prepping and running back and forth there's no togetherness in that so I really like this idea Mm. that it's that everyone takes part in all aspects yeah Mm. the entire experience is about sharing not just you're not just sharing Mm -hmm. food and a table you're sharing the entire experience yeah I like that too like you said as well before the Hand in hand with the mindfulness, I guess, is the gratitude. So Mm. soaking it all in and not just during the dinner party, but other people's company, your surroundings, just grateful for the five minutes of sunshine they get in summer, (laughs) grateful for the, (laughs) um, the, the food, the company, the belongings that they have, although not materialistic, just grateful that they have what they do and um and being mindful enough to notice that and and take it in not just gloss over it and be looking further ahead down the road for what's next yeah yeah or just taking it for granted Mm. you know um and sort of it's all about it's it really is that the whole mindfulness isn't it about you know 
actually being awake to your experience at the time and being grateful for the parts of that experience that are, you know, joyful and good. So he goes into a few more things which, you know, are all along the same lines. There's harmony, which we talked about. There's no competition, Mm. no bragging, no, it's not about bling and extravagance. And he talks about that things like old woolen socks and rustic homewares and stuff like that is far more harmonious and uniting than people coming over showing off their new Gucci watch. Mm. Um, They don't like that in Denmark. They don't like show offs. No. And there's comfort, like we said. Um, It's all about relaxation, slowness, being cosy, being warm. Truce was a element that I hadn't really thought of, but he suggested it's about being drama free. So political discussion Mm. is not off the table. Yeah. Mm. And I don't even know how much they talk politics generally, but it's certainly not something you want to include in an evening or a get together with friends. Or if you want that experience to be Hugo. Yeah. If you, if you don't, you know, then you won't. But if it's, if it's if you're looking for a Hugo experience, then it would be yeah um, drama free. Mm. I've this is quote by Kierkegaard, which is all about that mindfulness, and he says many of men pursue pleasure with such breathless haste that they hurry past it. So I think mm. that's what Hugo is all about: is not hurrying past our pleasure. I really like that. The togetherness aspect, which we've already touched on, this is not just for creating a Huga experience at home. This is what I mentioned before, I think, contributes to their happy lifestyle generally, is that Danes religiously leave work at five. They are really strict about it. They said by 5.30, mm. the office is like you could run around naked because there's no one there. <laughs> it would be very rare that anyone would still be in the office at 5.30. They generally refuse to work weekends and they all value this idea of play and rest and having their weekly meals with the family. They see that as an essential ingredient to their happiness and put it really high on their list of priorities. And I love that because I think we miss that so much these days. We put, Mm. especially Monday to Friday, we put work at the top of the list and then maybe on the weekends we might flip it, but they live like this every day, Mm. holidays, work days, weekends, all year round, they do their work and then they go and enjoy their life outside of work, which I really liked. Yeah. And that's a cultural thing. So there might be, you know, people in in our culture that that would love that, but culturally they're not supported in that. So they can try and do it, but from a cultural perspective, they, if they leave work at five past five, they might not be considered for a promotion they might not be you know included in the next project or something like that because they just weren't around or they're seen as not taking their job seriously enough and so even if they are very good at their job take their job very seriously but want this balance culturally we don't support people who want that and it's it's a shame and the problem I think as well is we see the volume of time people are at their desks as a direct relationship to their output and it's not the case because a lot of people especially 
if you know you've got a great life balance, you can come to work and be really effective and you can do more in six hours than an um, unhappy, procrastinating, unproductive, distracted person could do in 10. But if they sit at their desk for 10 hours and are still at their desk when the boss leaves, quite often they get rewarded Mm. for that. And I think we need to flip the way Mm. that we look at this stuff. This is why I have to work for myself. I'd be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Because someone will say to me, did I see you at the cafe reading a book at like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning? Like, (laughs) yes, you did. And that was because I had a client on Tuesday night. So if I have a client in the evening, I give myself the following morning off. And that's my way to reconcile it because I'd love to not work nights. But for some clients, that's the only available time. So I have like a time off in lieu. Quite Mm. often I work an hour in the evening and have three hours off the following morning. But that works for me. That keeps me happy. But and and that, that that that's an equivalent to like you know one hour in the evening is equivalent to three hours during the day I reckon yeah so maybe that's something you can broach with your boss go and tell them you want to bring a bit more hygge into your company you're going to light a candle in the boardroom and you're out of there at five o'clock and just see what they say <laughs> and not interrupt anyone during meetings and and not mansplain and um, talk over people Mm. good luck so I guess the last critical aspect we've already discussed a little bit which was shelter that idea of creating a sanctuary somewhere safe and secure that's really peaceful and that is welcoming I guess to your tribe be that your family or your close friends or or whatever that that idea that you're together sheltered safe somewhere yep Exactly. And like I was saying, it doesn't have to be a physical shelter either. It can be a metaphorical shelter or it's a, a just a boundary of some kind is regarded as shelter as well. Mm. So I was impressed to read Mike challenge himself about the downsides of Hugo because at this point I was like, this sounds amazing. There can't possibly be a downside. But he suggested that because Hugo is based on comfort and security and togetherness, you usually do it in your little social circles or your little cliques. And those circles quite often go way back because it's that, I experienced this recently. I got together. Oh, you know what? Recently it was probably two years ago now, (laughs) (laughs) but with a group of friends that I went to school with, to high school with, And we've all stayed in touch, but there is something so lovely about being in the presence of people that have known you forever. And it's Mm. like, there's no, not that I feel like I have to prove myself around new people, but it's like, they know the history. There's no, I don't have to, there's no backstory. They know, they've known me for 25 or 30 years. So it's really easy to be present because there's no, oh, mm. so why do you do that? Or why did you move here? Or did it, like they've been with you for the long run. And I think there's something really comforting in being in the presence of old friends. And yeah. so that idea of Hugo being based on that togetherness and security and comfort, it makes sense you do it in your little social circles or cliques that go a long way back. The mm. downside then, he explains, is that it's really hard for newcomers And people that often move to Denmark find it really hard to penetrate social groups because Mm. you think of getting a group of your old friends that have known each other for years and years and putting a newcomer in and it kind of Mm. feels a bit jarring and a bit 
awkward and uncomfortable. And that's the opposite of huga. So, yeah, new stuff is not huga. Mm. Like old, old things, comforting things, safe and secure things, yeah. and certain things are all are all huga. Mm. Yeah. So I can imagine that moving to Denmark, and that would be really hard because if you move there and you know are greeted at the airport with a sign saying "Happiest Country on." earth and then you can't and then you're find really lonely because you've got no friends oh. yeah um but yeah so that is that is the downside so yeah and the book that I read taught said exactly the same thing mm. Mm. so if you want 10 specific things that will make your place more hygge, um thinking in terms of your home Mike gives a, a detailed list the first one is a hygge krog which I will need to explain. So when I read that, I was like, well, that's great. I don't even understand that. There is actually a little mini Hooger dictionary included in his book because anything that is they quite compound Hooger, the word, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They compound they the word Hooger with other things. Yeah. The actual word. Um, so there's a, a Hooger crog is a nook, which is usually in a kitchen or a living room for sitting and lounging in. So, you can kind of imagine like the bay windows with a couple of yep. lovely textured cushions, like maybe a velvet, maybe a natural wool, a throw rug that's got like a view over the street, you know, that little kind of cozy nook. That's a hygge crock. And you've got one of those, haven't you? Haven't you got a reading chair? Yeah, I do. Hmm. But it's it's got, no, it's not hygge enough. It's not comfortable enough. Who can make over? Needs a makeover. Um, And yeah, so the other Hooger words, I wrote down a couple to share with you. There's a Hoogerston, which is like a moment of Hooger. So people might encounter that in a shop or in someone's house or in a boardroom, a moment of Hooger. Dressing room. (laughs) And I liked this one, Hooger snack. I was like, ooh, is that like some lovely, cheesy flavored? snack but it's not it's a chit chat or a cozy conversation that doesn't touch on any controversial issues is a hygge snack um so there was a whole list of them which gave me a bit of a giggle but so anyway back to the 10 things that will make your place more hygge the hygge crog so this little cozy nook a fireplace is number two candles number three four was things made of wood and i guess it's that whole earthy warmth warm, yeah familiar so flo- wooden floors wooden chairs wooden toys as well which have made a big comeback of recent years mm. number five he suggested nature so leaves twigs animal skins and i loved the quote he said just think how would a viking squirrel furnish a living room <laughs> and if you can do that you've got it um books because I guess there's that lovely, oh, I don't, what is it about books? There's something about them, the paper, the coziness, the history. The oldness, the history, yeah, the, they've been around for so long. And yeah. mm, and he even talked about creating like a little lending library. You could put a stack at the bottom of your stairs or in a window or something that when friends came over, that was where they borrowed books from and that kind of mm. thing. I love that idea. Uh, ceramics was another thing, teapots, vases, mugs, and there's a whole lot of famous, famous Danish ceramic places, I think, I think because it's like an integral part of their history. Yeah, I love Danish ceramics. Mm. 
Um, and fin- Finnish um, stuff from Finland. Oh, I love it. I saw one yesterday at a client's house and I oh, I had to just be careful not to drool over it <laughs> in case she thought I was going to slip it into my like bag or something. <laughs> it's just beautiful 60s Finnell jug, ceramic jug. Oh, anyway. I love that because after our discussion about the home edit and you mentioning how they fawn over other people's things. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And now I've got this visual of you like they were fawning over, you know, Chanel bags and you're like (gasps) Danish I'm fawning over a worn out vintage ceramic jug from Finland. But I didn't fawn. I just internally appreciated appreciated it. Um, Yeah, that's one thing I have to be careful like – I think you might you might have experienced this as well, but there's a couple of downfalls to ex- expressing appreciation for other people's belongings when you do our job. And after a while, once you know a client, you know what you can say and what you can't. But early on, I used to fall into this trap of like, oh, that's lovely. And then they'd say, oh, you can have it because they're trying to declutter. But, you know, and so then I'm like, then I have to refuse it, which is awkward because I don't want clutter and also it's not professional to take something from a client. And so then there's that or... Someone, and this has never happened to me, but someone said one time um, that she expressed appreciation for something and then that client got really paranoid about her stealing it and, like, they were worried she was going to take it. And it's like, well, like, no, I was just being polite. <laughs> it's like they um, – so we have to be very it's, – it's a bit of a minefield. So, we, yeah, we, we conduct out most of our appreciation on the inside until we know a client well. Yeah. Very good. So that vintage – that whole vintage thing that you – that you mentioned there that you appreciated um, vintage things and anything that has that nostalgic value is quite a hygge. Oh, I've got lots of that in my house then. Mm. I'm okay. And number Mm. 10 is blankets and cushions. And, again, I think it's that whole – Yeah, I think I missed out number eight there, which was tactile things, but those things, they kind of go together, that wood warmth for like different textures, things that make you feel – cozy I just think of like a ski lodge or something and you know everything Mm. feels lovely and knitted and so yeah if you want to infuse a bit of hygge into your house specifically um you could try those 10 things and it's interesting though that when I look at that list that he's made of the 10 things um one of the things that the book I read would have included in that list would be people (laughs) Mm. Because the it's probably the number the number one thing that she had on as something that was Hugo was belonging and being part of a group and being um, connected to people. So you could probably have all of those things in your house, but if you don't have people in your house, then it's not Hugo. Mm. According to the, that book, good point. You know, obviously, there's different different. Um, perspectives of this but yeah that's because it's mostly about the people so you you know I mean obviously you're in your house (laughs) and your family if you've got other people living in your house are there but um yeah I think that's another aspect that needs to be perhaps added to that list I think is that um people Mike also goes into some there's a whole lot of other bits of the book which I mentioned so you know he talks about who get outside how you can create that feeling outside, how to have a hygge Christmas, specific types of hygge recipes and clothing. And there's a whole lot more in that book. So if you want more information, I will put a link to that book on the website on our show notes so you can have a look. And also we'll do the one that you've been reading as well, Beck. Mm, yep. Is there anything else that we haven't mentioned about hygge? 
I don't think so. The, I think it's probably a little bit naive of us to sort of go, oh, we can turn our own lives into Huga lives. And I think that um, that might be a little naive of us because we can inject certain aspects of the things that are enjoyed from a Huga atmosphere or Huga feeling. But without, I think, without the whole culture being like that we're not going to get the Mm. full benefits of it but I think you know if we do things like increase our mindfulness and increase our connections to others we they that cannot be a bad thing and I think that that would be of great benefit but I think overall having a a huga life I think would only really be possible in those in those cultures and communities maybe yeah I agree and I think the best we can hope for is to take some of the concepts and try and blend them with what we've got. So even if it Mm. turns your next dinner party into something that's not about bragging and boasting and um, one-upping each other and you have a aim to make it more about this collective togetherness and gratitude and coziness and appreciating each other, if that's all the huga you can get into your life that's still yeah. that's still a benefit it's still going to be a good mm. thing yeah and also i think what we can do is and i was doing this when when you and i started talking about huga and i was reading the book i was thinking of the things that i do that do have the elements in there and not all the elements but some of them and in particular the mindfulness and the connection and and i was thinking you know one of the ways i get together with girlfriends is to go for a walk and talk while we're walking and that's quite mindful like there's no children interrupting us there's no there's no housework looking at us we're out in a park we're walking we're in the moment um and so i was sort of thinking some of the ways that i do experience some huga and i think if we can think about our own life and appreciate those moments we do get that could also be a good thing as well and recognize them for what they are instead of just glossing over them and just experiencing them blindly um, if we actually watch ourselves doing this and appreciate it then that can be a good thing too and acknowledging that it may be a key contributor to your level of happiness Mm. Mm. yeah exactly so we would love to hear about your ideas of huga wouldn't we we absolutely would. In our Facebook community group, come in and have a chat about it. Um, tell us where you've hoogerized. <laughs> You're That's terrible. I should not have done that. <laughs> tell us where you've injected some hoogar into your life and share it with us and maybe we can we can find ways to, to do the same. And until then, we will uh, see you next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.